0: The Fed Pivot is here for multiple reasons. Some of them are valid and some are highly questionable. But regardless, stocks are going to new all-time highs. I'm Graham Summers, and this is Bulls, Bears, and BS. Welcome back to Bulls, Bears, and BS. I'm Graham Summers, Chief Market Strategist for Phoenix Capital Research, and today is Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. Well, the biggest news in the financial system in the last few weeks has been that the Fed has announced that it's going to pivot. What this means is that the Fed is officially done raising interest rates and has begun talking about cutting interest rates in the future. Now, multiple Fed officials have been hinting at this for a while, the most famous one being Fed official Waller, who previously stated that the Fed was beginning to think about doing rate cuts in early December. Now, at the time, that was a little unusual because Waller was sort of going rogue on this one. Fed Chair Powell, who's the chair of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, who's kind of considered to be the head of the Fed had said on December 1st that the Fed wasn't even really thinking about rate cuts. It was too early to do so. But then you fast forward two weeks to the 15th, which was the Fed's December meeting in which it announced that it would not be raising rates. At that point, the Fed released its dot plots for 2024. And the dot plots demonstrated that the Fed actually anticipated quite a number of rate cuts. They expected that rates would be down around 4.6 percent sometime in 2023. Now, remember, currently rates are at 5.5 percent, so the Fed's essentially broadcasting that it expects it will cut rates three to four times next year because the typical rate cut, again, is 0.25 percent. Now, this was quite a jolt, as you can imagine, because it's essentially the Fed not only saying, hey, we're done raising rates, meaning we're giving up on fighting inflation, we're giving up on tightening monetary policy, we're giving up on all of that, but it's also the Fed saying, we're not only giving up on that, but the whole idea of rates staying higher for longer, specifically this idea that the Fed would get rates to a very high level and then keep them there for a prolonged period until inflation's gone. The Fed just threw that out the window and is now talking about cutting in 2023. Now, the last rate hike that the Fed implemented was in July. So the Fed's already gone six months without raising. And if it starts cutting rates sometime early in 2023, it means that the Fed's alleged higher for longer meant simply keeping rates steady for about six to nine months, maybe a year tops. It's really not higher for longer. It's just kind of we're coasting. And again, they threw that narrative out the window because they're already talking about easing. And this is the famous Fed pivot, the idea that the Fed's done tightening monetary policy and is now looking forward to easing monetary policy. And the really interesting thing is that Fed Chair Powell at the FOMC meeting on December 15th didn't push back on any of this. Now, that's quite striking because remember, as I said a few minutes ago, Powell had been talking about it being too early to even begin discussing rate cuts on December 1st. Fast forward to December 15th, and he's saying it's something that the Fed's openly discussing and trying to figure out. This is quite a big shift. And it does, on some level, suggest that somebody behind the scenes got to Fed Chair Powell, which is going to bring us to the first and totally questionable reason for the Fed to start cutting rates next year one of the biggest myths in finance is that the fed is politically independent this is something that people treat as gospel but it's an absolute lie if you spend even five minutes thinking about it this is particularly true for the fed in the last 25 years but it's been true throughout history and the reason for this is very simple human beings all care about their careers. And Fed chairs have careers like everyone else, and they're appointed or they're nominated by the president. And with that in mind, the Fed does have a degree of political influence from the White House, because at the end of the day, the White House can get furious with what the Fed's doing and start berating them either openly or behind the scenes. Now, the most famous example of this, or the one that comes to mind the most, would be former President Donald Trump, who tweeted nonstop that the Fed was messing things up in 2018 in a kind of public harassment campaign. But that's simply the most commonly known one because that one was very open via Twitter. We know from historical accounts that the Fed was frequently being pressured by the Nixon administration, the Johnson administration, and other administrations. Even Reagan at one point was very frustrated with Paul Volcker. So the reality is the Fed is not somehow... Unexposed to political influence, how can it be? It's based in D.C. D.C. is a highly political town. It's a town that currently is over ninety percent Democrat, and so regardless of what Fed officials have as their own personal political ideologies, they're still surrounded by people who all vote and think similar things, and they have to engage with these people, whether it's by you know shopping at the store, going to exercise, even working with these people. Because remember, the Fed isn't just a handful of people; it's got over four hundred. Economics PhDs on staff, another 150 associates on staff, and then countless other officials. It's I believe it's got more than several thousand employees total. So regardless, my point is the idea that the Fed is politically independent is a bunch of baloney, and everyone knows this on some level, but there are some very striking examples in which the Fed clearly intervened for political purposes. One of the most famous ones, and perhaps it put the official nail on the coffin of the Fed as apolitical occurred in 2012 when the Bernanke-led Federal Reserve launched Quantitative Easing 3, QE3, in September, which was a mere two months before the 2012 presidential election. Now, considering that the U.S. economy was not heading towards a recession and the U.S. financial system was not under any kind of significant duress at the time, this was a blatant political interference in order to help the Obama administration with its reelection bids in the 2012 presidential election. And even if there wasn't some major intervention going on, the optics are absolutely terrible. I mean, again, we're talking about the Fed launching its largest to date quantitative easing program a mere two months before a presidential election. I mean, come on. Fast forward to 2018, and we see more signs of the Fed being political. The Fed kept interest rates at zero from 2008 until 2015, and throughout that time, it also spent $3.5 trillion in new money via quantitative easing. So for the better part of almost 10 years, the Fed had the monetary policy established at kind of emergency levels of intervention. The Fed finally started shifting gears here when it began raising rates in 2015. It did so only once. It then only raised rates once during 2016, and then in 2017, the Fed suddenly got religion and raised rates three times and raised rates four times in 2018, while also engaging in quantitative tightening, which is the inverse of quantitative easing and a process through which the Fed drains liquidity from the system, and the Fed drained $500 billion in about the space of one year. Now, looking at this, what changed? Well, in 2016, Donald Trump won the presidency. so. Essentially, the Fed maintained emergency levels of monetary easing throughout the vast majority of the Obama administration's two terms as president. And then Trump wins, and suddenly the Fed gets really aggressive and starts raising rates dramatically. Now, regardless of whether this was intentional or not, the optics are absolutely ludicrous. Moreover, for those of you who believe this is all conspiracy theory, consider that the Fed vice chair, that would be the Fed number two, Stanley Fisher, Openly admitted in an interview that the Fed raised rates in December of 2018 with the express intention of hurting the economy and the stock market while Trump was president. So we've got the number two at the Fed admitting publicly that the Fed did something intentionally, not based on economics, not based on stocks, but because they were trying to hurt the presidency. So again, the Fed is a political entity, which brings us to today. The Powell Fed, or the Fed that's led by Fed Chair. Jerome Powell is a highly political Federal Reserve. Anyone who argues other than this is not paying any attention. The biggest sign of this concerns the Fed's argument that inflation was transitory throughout 2020 and 2021. Now, to show you just how political this was, consider that throughout this time period, the Fed's own research in the form of its beige book completely countered the idea that inflation was transitory. In fact, as early as March and April of 2021, the Beige Book showed captains of industry and various business owners screaming that inflation was a problem. Moreover, you had factory gate prices hitting a 40-year high, the CPI breaking out, soaring, hitting eventually a high of 8%, and you had even Fortune 500 CEOs appearing on CNBC and saying they're going to have to raise prices because inflation's out of control the Fed ignored all of this, arguing that inflation was transitory, which was essentially the Fed saying either these people are lying or they're all idiots. But then Jerome Powell is nominated for a second term as Fed chair by the Biden administration. And literally the next week he comes out and says inflation is not transitory. So what does that tell you? Regardless of whether or not that was a completely political move, the optics are absolutely abhorrent. You've got the Fed chair openly promoting a narrative that inflation's transitory. Then he gets nominated for a second term and he throws that out the window the very next week and says the Fed needs to raise rates. Mind you, this was right around the time a CNN poll showed that inflation was the number one concern for Americans. And it was around the time that the Biden administration's polls began to collapse in terms of favorability. I bring all of this up because I'm trying to establish to you that the Fed is clearly a political entity. Anyone who argues otherwise is out of their mind, which brings us to today. Next year, 2024, is a presidential election year. It's also a congressional year for elections. And it's very clear to me that the Fed, to some degree, decided to start talking about pivoting because of political influence in DC. Why do I say this? Because throughout 2023, for most of that year, Fed officials openly stated that the Fed was going to have to keep rates higher for longer, meaning they were going to raise rates to a very high level and then leave them there for months on end, if not years. So the fact that the Fed suddenly gets to November or December, which is within 12 months of the presidential election, and abandons all of this and starts talking about cutting rates is an open indication of political influence. We have to remember that the current Treasury Secretary is a woman named Janet Yellen, who is very openly a leftist, very openly left-leaning and an academic, and very, very pro the Biden administration, because why not? Joe Biden's the reason she became the first ever female Treasury Secretary in history. She's openly engaged in political influence as well by having the Treasury choose to fund all of its debt obligations with a much higher percentage of short-term debt rather than long-term debt going into the presidential election. So, again, my point is the Fed's a political entity. It's very clear to me that to some degree the Fed's decision to pivot and start cutting rates next year is being influenced by politics, and this is all highly questionable. Now, having said all of that, I don't want to present things in just a one sided fashion. So, let's consider what are the valid reasons for the Fed to pivot and start cutting rates next year. Well, the valid reason concerns real rates. Real rates are what you get when you subtract inflation from where the Fed has interest rates. So if the Fed has interest rates at 5.5% like it does today and inflation, according to the official metrics, is now down around 3%, then you've got real rates of 2.5% or positive 2.5%. This is highly restrictive monetary policy because it's implying That the rate of interest the Fed has established for the financial system is, in fact, higher than the rate of inflation. And this can become very problematic. If you look at a chart that shows the Fed's funds rates relative to CPI over the last 30 years, you'll see that anytime real rates are at positive 2% for any prolonged period of time, something usually breaks or the economy enters a recession soon thereafter. This was the case right before the tech crash in 2000 and 2001. This was the case right before the Great Recession and Great Financial Crisis in 2006 and 2007. And it's currently the case because according to the official metrics, the Consumer Price Index has inflation around 3% and the Fed's fund rate is at 5.5%. So we have positive real rates of 2.5% right now. This is highly restrictive. It's very likely going to induce some sort of crisis or recession if things stay like this for the next year or two. And again, next year's a presidential election, so the Fed's going to be having a lot of pressure on it not to allow a recession to unfold. In light of all this, there is a very valid reason for the Fed to start cutting rates, namely to get the Fed funds rate down near CPI, to make real rates less positive, and to not risk triggering a crisis or recession. Remember, A big reason why we had that regional banking crisis early in March of 2023 was because real rates became quite positive. This put a lot of stress on the regional banking system. And the only reason why we haven't had a major banking crisis while rates were this positive was because the Fed launched a backdoor bailout of the banks that at its peak saw the Fed pumping as much as $400 billion in liquidity into the financial system every night. To put that into perspective, it's really not that much less than the Fed was pumping into the financial system during the great financial crisis. So while stocks are going towards new all-time highs and everything's looking hunky-dory and the economy is chugging along, the reality was we did have the beginnings of a crisis early in 2023, but the Fed moved to bail it out behind the scenes and things continued on with real rates being positive in spite of the fact that this was highly restrictive for the financial system. We've covered a lot of ground already, so let's just do a quick recap. The Fed has pivoted. The Fed is going to start cutting rates next year. There's definitely some questionable reasons for this, namely political influence, which completely gets rid of the idea that the Fed is politically independent. But there are also valid reasons, namely that real rates are extremely positive and at levels that typically have preceded recessions or crises. So regardless of the reasons, because we'll never really know. The Fed is going to start cutting rates next year, and this is going to trigger a risk-on move for assets. Stocks are already discounting this, which is why they're going up aggressively. It's also a big boon for real estate because, remember, mortgage rates have been as high as 7 or almost even 8%, which is highly restrictive. So if the Fed starts cutting rates and rates come down... That means mortgage rates will come down, and given the fact that there's short supply of housing in this country, you're probably going to see real estate prices going up aggressively next year, maybe even some kind of mini real estate bubble hitting because, again, inflation is still elevated. And generally speaking, the fix is in. The Fed's going to do everything it can to keep risk assets high and the economy chugging along into the presidential election, and then everyone can pay the piper in 2025. This is certainly the case when it comes to the Treasury's decision to fund the U.S.'s debt obligations with a higher percentage of short-term debt as opposed to long-term debt. It's now very clear in terms of the Fed choosing to start easing, and it's really going to be a boon for a lot of different industries. We've already talked about housing. This is going to be positive for financials and regional banks. I'm not saying that those are fantastic investments, but just simply the stress of having positive real rates is going to dissipate which should see some kind of relief in those sectors. It's also ignited a major move in the Russell 2000 which is the microcap index for stocks because remember the Nasdaq is almost entirely tech based, the S&P 500 because it's weighted heavily towards tech is also a kind of tech index, but the microcap index, the Russell 2000 has a lot of financials, it has a lot of small banks in it, it has a lot of highly indebted startups. These are all entities that will do better with lower rates, which is why we're suddenly seeing the Russell 2000 catch up by rapidly rising relative to the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. What all of this means is that breadth or kind of market internals have strengthened dramatically because remember, most of the rally from the early November lows has been run by the large tech companies. In early November, we told our clients, time to buy the S&P 500 is going to go to at least 4,600, if not 4,700 by the year end. At that time, the S&P 500 was at 4,200. And that rally was driven largely by tech. The result of this was that you had these big divergences where all the tech, the big tech companies were up a lot, but a lot of industries like financials, you know, uh, consumer discretionary and things like that, they were lagging behind. And a lot of analysts looked at this and said, oh, This tells us that the rally is on weak legs. It's being driven by just a handful of stocks. The overall market is indicating that those stocks will eventually correct and we're going to see stocks turn down. But because the Fed's now pivoting, that's completely false. And in fact, we're seeing all the laggards start to play catch up. So if anything, the risk on rally that started in early November is strengthening. You're seeing market internal strengthen. Now, This doesn't mean that stocks aren't overbought on a very short-term basis. It simply means from a fundamental perspective and from a market internals perspective, this rally is a lot stronger now than it was in early November, which is why we've predicted that the S&P 500 would be at new all-time highs before February, possibly even 5,000 by that point. Uh, Bear in mind, we made that forecast before the Fed pivot, and it generally speaks to things being risk-on throughout 2024. Now, obviously, there's no guarantee things can change at any point, but the main point I'm trying to make here is that from a macro perspective, the economy's growing, a recession has not hit, the Fed's now talking about easing, the Treasury's doing everything it can to keep the bond market under control, the, and you've got unemployment not really rising rapidly. This is kind of a Goldilocks scenario. It's what stocks really love. The Fed about to ease, the economy's still moving along, albeit at a lower pace. And you've also got all the money flowing into the financial system from the federal government in the forms of various stimulus effects designed to try to help the Biden administration with its reelection campaign bid in 2024. So again, we are now in a risk-on market. It's a market in which market internals have strengthened dramatically. All the big divergences are now dissipating. You're seeing all the laggards play catch-up. And while things are overbought in the short term, It seems as though 2024, or at least the beginning part of that year going into February, is going to be a good period for risk assets. So we've covered a lot of ground this week, but the main point is everything's changed. The Fed and the Treasury are both doing everything they can to try to boost stocks and risk assets. The economy is still growing, and all of the big dangers, specifically in the debt markets, have dissipated due to these interventions. This suggests that we're going to see some risk on moves continue, barring some kind of exogenous event, like something that comes completely out of left field. Things should remain stable. Volatility is low, and it looks as though early 2024 will be generally risk positive. I'm Graham Summers, and this is Bulls, Bears, and BS.